Hello and welcome to the Corinne Nidja podcast. I'm your host, Corinne Nidja, and this podcast is where I share people's incredible stories of recovery after adopting a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet. Guests on the show have accomplished so much recovery from diseases such as multiple sclerosis, type 2 diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, we've had asthma, we've had endometriosis, polycystic ovarian syndrome, heart disease, and so many others. And this week, we are talking with Adam Sudd. And I don't even know how to begin, honestly. I I don't know if you've ever heard Adam Sudd's story before. Uh, He or if you follow him on social media already, but you should. So you can definitely go follow him on Plant Based Addict at Facebook and Instagram. And you can also find him at masteringdiabetes.org where he, you know, is a food addict and type 2 diabetes or a diabetes coach. You can also find him and his podcast, Mastering Diabetes, the audio experience and Definitely head over to masteringdiabetes.org if you have type 1 or type 2 diabetes. Both of the founders of this organization, Robbie and Cyrus, live with type 1 diabetes. They're expert in type 1 diabetes and they're coaches and support team and their information and research is incredible. They have a, a program that you can join for one week for free or maybe one month for free. Check it out over at the website, masteringdiabetes.org. These guys are doing incredible, incredible work helping people overcome food addiction, chronic disease, type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Now, obviously, type 1 diabetes is a lifetime thing, but they help people to, ma- to manage this in a way that makes you know living with type 1 diabetes so much more enjoyable and manageable than ever before with the standard low carb high f- higher fat diets that we've been taught to accept and embrace throughout history they're just doing such great work for everyone and i can't stress enough go follow adam at plant based addict and definitely check out um, and robbie from mastering diabetes has a mindful diabetic Robbie on social media. You can find him as well if you're living with type 1 or type 2 diabetes because, yeah, he's living with type 1 diabetes. So he is a great person to follow. Or if you have a family member, hit them, share this episode with them because we talk about type 1 and type 2 diabetes in this episode because Adam himself had type 2 diabetes. So definitely check them out. You know, Follow them on social media, get your motivation and inspiration from them on your own journey, on your own health journey. Uh, Adam's story covers so much. I was just (laughs) a well of tears a lot throughout this episode because, you know, there was so – Adam's story covers, you know, substance abuse, food addiction – he, just his own journey with becoming 350-pound man who's addicted to drugs and food and and how he moved through that, how he journeyed through that. And I think that what we talk about, it's just there's just so much. I'm, you know, I'm recording this introduction just after we just finished talking just now and I 
There is just so much. So please, if you're on a run and it's not long enough, listen to it again tomorrow or go for a longer run or go for a longer drive or, you know, ride your bike around work extra few times if you're <laughs> if you've got the time to to do that because this episode, you know, at the end of the episode and his Adam's normally we do top 3 tips, but Adam just did top 1 tip and his top 1 tip is there is just so much to take away, but I wanted to ta- to write down just mention one quote now that I really really loved and that was when in talking about change and 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 healthy living and self improvement and building your self love and transforming your health and mind body and soul from the inside out it can seem so insurmountable the giant mountain before you you know i know in 2000 and for 2002 when I was you know over 100 kilos and I was just had so many issues multiple sclerosis fibromyalgia I was in so much pain I was taking constant daily packets of painkillers and just to get through the day and I was constipated and I was tired and all of those things and I was itchy with candida and and struggling with depression and anxiety and just laying in bed and every day just wishing that the day would just hurry up and end so I could just get my life over and done with as fast as possible because it was such a horrific chore to me to, to exist in that body that I had back in 2002. And when someone told me, oh, you know, you could feel great, I feel great, you can feel like me and Adam do now, all you have to do is change your whole life. <laughs> it seems insurmountable. It seems impossible. But as every guest says, this isn't about getting to the end. The process is the journey, is the is the goal. The process is the goal. It doesn't mean that tomorrow you're going to be 100 pounds lighter and you're going to have no chronic disease. Like it, it's going to happen. Just enjoy the process. And one of the key things that helped Adam through is his, which I quoted here, is decide between the choices every moment, every, every meal, every choice, every action that we take. If it's not going for that walk or not doing the yoga class or not, or eating that junk food that's in front of you, the choice is between what you want now and what you want most. So if what you want most is that incredibly vital body to reverse your chronic disease, to feel joyful, to wake up wanting to experience the day, if what you want most is that, to be with your loved ones, to have them not worrying about you, to have them feeling happy for you and to have yourself excited to spend time with them and enjoy them and enjoy your families and your friends and your careers and your lives. If what you want most is that, that's the choice. You know, the choice is what you want most, not what you want now. What you want now is the chocolate bar, the candy. You want it. It's right there. You want to have it. But make it the decision to choose what you want most. I loved that. It was such a great, it was such a great way of looking at it rather than deciding on the immediacy, delay that gratification until you obtain what you want the most. 
And every single guest on our show has done that. And now that's not the easiest, that's not where it stops. It stops never, really. It stops never. You're never going to have this end because the next, the goals keep, the goalposts keep moving the better that you feel. It's going to keep moving because it, it, you're just going to add more joy. As Adam says in this podcast, you know, the more joy you add, you crowd out the discomfort, you crowd out the disease, you crowd out the the suffering, the the unhappiness, you crowd out the junk food, you crowd out the dairy, the meat. The, you don't avoid them. You just add in the happiness and the things that bring you joy and play around with it until there's no space for the things that, a negative in your life uh, and that calls you ill health. Just slowly, baby steps. Every single guest has done the same thing. We have fallen off, picked up, fallen off, picked up and just kept moving forward, making progress and enjoying the process along the way, making it playful and joyful. So I'm so excited to share this with you. Uh, obviously, you know where to find this episode and and you, know, you can listen to it on Spotify, Stitcher app. Apple Podcasts, um, share it with your family and friends. I'm sure that there is someone whose family member is is living with and struggling with drug addiction, food addiction, type 2 diabetes, heart disease, all of those things. Adam's story is for those people. Your sharing helps this story, Adam's story, to reach those people. Um, and it's a, it's a gift to those people and Adam is doing, taking the time out to share his story with me and all of you listening. So please share it as widely as you can. Tell his story to your family and friends over dinner. Share a plant-based potluck and tell Adam's story there with your community. Join my plant-based and thriving group for more stories like his. Help us all build a community of people who are wanting to reverse chronic disease, lose excess weight and fall in love with ourselves, with ourselves. It's so lovely to fall in love with yourself and it's a lifelong love affair that will take you amazing places and absolutely transform your life. So I can't wait. Let's just get started. Welcome, Adam, to the show. Wow, welcome, Adam, to the show. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. I'm excited. Oh, me too. Me too. So let's just get straight into it and okay. t tell us your story. Okay. Well, um, you know, my, I, I'm, a, uh, I'm a Texan and um, my family has been in Texas for a long time. Um, I'm also a Jew. So I grew up uh, with two cultures who are not really prided on the health of their diet, right? So burgers and barbecue, bagels and blintzes, that whole deal. Um, and I had, you know, I had a great childhood. My dad played sports when he was a kid. He was the captain of his high school basketball team. So he wanted me to enjoy sports. And I did. I played Little League Baseball. I, you know, I played basketball with my friends after school. We rode, you know, bikes and skateboards and, and the whole the whole deal. Um, and uh, I have an identical twin brother and a younger sister. And uh, we're all very close. We grew up very close. My brother and I are still um even though we don't live in the same city, we're still inseparable. We're always on the phone with each other. Um, but growing up, I had issues with self-image. Um, with all the best intentions in the world, I was criticized a lot um, for food choices. 
or wanting to eat, you know, junk food, bad food. And I kept, you know, I, I was confused by, the, you know, how could I want something that's bad for me? Am I bad for wanting these foods? And it was really confusing because a lot of these foods were in our house. And so I started to believe that there must be something wrong with me, right? That, 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 that I don't understand why I want these foods so badly. And yet I hear that these foods are bad. And so there's got to be something. And, and it's so easy for everyone else to avoid them or to, you know, to, to not need them. But I, I'm struggling. And so I'm broken. There's, it's got to be me. And I believe that so much that I decided to start hiding my eating. And I can remember, you know, grabbing food from my kitchen and going into my bedroom and shutting the door and turning off the lights. And my, my bed, my bed was not all the way up against the wall, but it was close enough to where I could get onto the other side of it in between the bed and the wall and sort of like hide in the ground. Like I was, you know, like, like in a bunker and I would eat in the dark alone. I was like 10 years old. And, and I was afraid that, at any moment, the door was going to open and the lights were going to come on and everyone would see me for what I truly was. And it was this broken child who was afraid of being seen. And um, that sort of closet eating mentality really took over in, in sort of all aspects. I was, ash I was ashamed to take my shirt off. And I, wasn't, I wasn't the fat kid by any means in school, but I was just – I was afraid I wasn't perfect. And so when we went swimming – uh, you know, a lot of times I wouldn't take my shirt off and, um, I didn't like to have people look at me when I got dressed up nice, you know, because everyone was sort of, Oh, my parents, like I said, with all the best intentions, wanted me to look really nice. And so they'd say, Oh, you know, this doesn't look right or something. And I would think it was because I was wearing the clothes. Um, and at about the same time I was diagnosed with attention deficit disorder. And so I had a, my parents took me to a doctor the doctors did all the necessary tests. And so now I had a doctor, another sort of person that you look up to. This, this is the person who's going to tell you what, what you are. Um, that was my perception of doctors at the time. That here he is saying, well, now there's something else about you that doesn't work right. And people don't like it, right? Your teachers won't like it if, if you don't operate correctly, if, if they don't like this about you but we're going to give you this pill. And as long as you take the pill, no one's ever going to know. It'll be fine. You, you will be fine as long as you're taking the pill because without the pill, you're broken. That's the way I interpreted the diagnosis. And from that point on, I, you know, I looked at the rest of the world to give me a signal, to give me indication uh, about things about me that were not okay. When I saw something about myself that others didn't like or that I didn't like or that the rest of the world didn't agree with or that I thought wasn't good enough. I felt that there had to be a substance or a magic pill or something that could fix it. And in high school, I was prescribed Ritalin at the time. And in high school, Ritalin, my Ritalin prescription became an Adderall prescription. And Adderall is just another stimulant-based uh, ADHD medication. It's, it's a, uh, it's an amphetamine is what it is. And, um, I didn't have a lot of friends in high school because we had just moved to Austin, Texas. And so I started high school not knowing anybody. I had no friends. Uh, I had, you know, I didn't 
have a lot of self-confidence. And I can remember a friend of mine, one of the few friends that I had, inviting me to a party and asking me to bring my bottle of Adderall. And um, he said it was because, you know, if you take more of it, it's a lot of fun. Everyone will enjoy it. And here I, I thought I found my, my ticket to friendship. To be, to be the person that everybody wanted at the party. because I was going to be the guy with the Adderall. And I had never done Adderall as a recreational drug. I didn't even know that it was a recreational drug at this time. But that night, when I did use it as a recreational drug, you know, it takes about 15 minutes. I, I think it took about 15 minutes for it to, to, for where I could start to feel it. But man, boom. I was just, I felt so good. I felt so powerful and strong and I was hooked because it wasn't it wasn't that I was hooked to the to the drug so much as what I was hooked to what it was doing for me right that feeling that I was superhuman and I had loads of energy and I could talk to anybody without without worry and I found everything to be interesting I, you know I I could talk to anybody about anything and I didn't have to sleep and I wasn't hungry. And I had a, like I mentioned before, I wasn't the fat kid, but I, I had a little extra weight. And now here's the solution to that problem. And um, my dad is very much a type A personality. And I certainly wasn't by any stretch of the imagination at that time. And so my dad and I, you know, my work ethic or lack thereof uh, rubbed my dad the wrong way. So we used to get into arguments about my study habits. Well, believe me, when I'm on Adderall, I have no problem with study habits. So that issue's resolved. Like my relationship with my parents became better. I had friends. I lost weight. I had loads of energy. I loved the way I felt. Like this pill seemed to magically fix everything that I thought was wrong with me and was making me the person that I wanted to be, that I felt I always wanted to be, that I felt that everyone else wanted me to be. And so if, you know, if and it felt like the more of it that I took, the more the person I was going to be able to become. And, it, and you know, it, it really, it worked. Like I, I lost the weight and I felt really good about myself. Um, I, you know, my, I got a scholarship to the school, to the college that I wanted to go to. I had loads of friends. I had girlfriends. I had, you know, I had a great time in high school and had a great time on Adderall in high school. I really did. And, uh, unfortunately in college, it just stopped working. And then I needed more of it just to work. And then that need for, for more of it became like the most important concern in my life. At, at all times of the day, I was hyper aware of how much I had left, how long it would last, where I was going to get more, how much it would cost, and where I was going to get the money to pay for it. These were like these uh, racing thoughts. These, it was like a problem, come up with a solution. Problem, make sure I had a solution. You know, it was it was at all times of the day. This was what was the most important thing. I had to know the answer to all of those things at all times, and it became so overwhelming. And I and that need for more, not just in or in, in regards to my tolerance, but just in regards to needing it for me, uh, just kept growing and growing and growing to where I was. You know, I would lie to my doctor and say. My bag got stolen from school and my prescription was in my bag and now I'm out. And, you know, that's 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 illegal. Um, and uh, to the point where I dropped out of college 
And honestly, I dropped out of college so that I could get out of school and move back to Austin where I knew the, the dealers that I could buy from. And I knew that there were at least three doctors that I could scam. Right. And so I started doctor shopping where you have multiple doctors prescribing the same medication without them knowing about each other. It's, it's a felony. Uh, I was forging prescriptions, which is very, very illegal. Um, I was buying from dealers. I was selling other drugs. I was stealing things and selling that on the streets to get money to buy drugs. And the whole time, you know, my parents were, my parents were even aware in high school that I had some, like that I was doing drugs, but they didn't know it was like an issue. But in college, it became more and more apparent that I had some kind of a problem. And, uh, they kept pressing me on it in a very, very caring way. It wasn't, they weren't, you know, making me feel bad about it. They were just sort of letting me know, you know, we think that there's something going on with you. And if you ever want to talk about it, but I was defensive. And so I just treated them like garbage. I mean, consistently treated them like garbage. The only time I saw them was to borrow money from them. Uh, and then even so I would, you know, it would just be, you know, I blame them and shame them for everything that was wrong in my life because if it were my fault, then I'd have to accept it. But, you know, it's easy just for me to tell my parents I hate them and say other horrible things that I don't want to say on, uh, in public. But, um, uh, and at the same time, you know, my, my sister was really getting upset by the whole situation and, and I started to isolate. And I, I started to become very depressed and I, I would, there would be weeks at a time, anywhere between 10 and 14 days when I wouldn't have drugs. I wouldn't have Adderall or wouldn't be able to get some cocaine or anything like that. And so I started to develop a dependency to fast food and I would get up every day and I would go get four potato, egg and cheese breakfast tacos, which is like a burrito breakfast burrito, but they're smaller. Um, and then I go to McDonald's and get two supersized double quarter pounder meals. And then I go to another fast food place and get their honey barbecue chicken strip sandwich meal. Then for dinner, I get an extra large pizza from Papa John's with, with the uh, beef on top and a side of the chicken strips. And then at about three in the morning, I'd go back to, uh, to this other fast food chain for four, three or four other breakfast on a bun sandwiches with sausage. I drink about 15 sodas. In, in a day. And, um, an average prescription for Adderall is about 20 milligrams per day. And, uh, the last five years of my addiction, I was doing 450 milligrams in a 24 hour period. And I would stay up. I would, this would force me to stay up obviously all night long, but I would do it for six days straight without sleep. Um, and by day five, sometimes end of day four, I would start to develop um, symptoms of a drug induced psychosis where I would hallucinate a lot of things, visual and audio. Um, I would, uh, it, it would like, I'd, they, I think they call them like micro naps where like you're awake and then all of a sudden you're not and you dream something, but you think you're awake and you do something like you actually act out. Like, I mean, I had friends that said that I would be sitting next to them and they look at me and then I turn around and start pushing them out of my room and I had no idea what they're talking about. The next thing I know is I'm standing there and I'm like, dude, what is wrong with you? And I, I was, I just fell asleep and it was, I was just fighting them in my sleep. And, uh, it just kept getting really, really bad. And, um, at about that time, my dad, uh, 
who has been involved with Whole Foods Market since the very beginning of the company, um, came to me and said, uh, Adam, you know, um, Whole Foods Market has just partnered with this man named Rip Esselstyn. And he's uh, the founder of Engine 2. He wrote the Engine 2 diet. And his dad is Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn. And we're creating what we're calling our Total Health Immersions Program, where you will go for seven days to a, to a resort and and this you'll you'll learn how to adopt a uh, plant-based diet it's led by rip and his dad and all these people and i right now it's it's only available to whole foods market employees but there's some open spots left that i can get you in will you please go and the only reason i said yes because i did not want to go i didn't i didn't have any intention of listening to this guy rip or give a crap about what he had to say but if i said yes my dad would give me money I knew that he would. That was that was my intention was go spend six days at a place for free. I'll get my own private room because I'm a spoiled brat and I can talk my way into that and um, just deal with it for seven days. And then I can come out and say, you know, I'm really working hard at this. You know, can you support me for you know a few more months while I try and live this lifestyle? But I like I didn't give a crap. And I went to the immersion and I like believe me that I, I, I brought drugs I was high when I showed up. I refused to do the medical intake because I just said, you know, it's not going to be accurate. I get really nervous around doctors and all this stuff. And I said, we'll just do the the one at the end. Don't worry about right now. Like, I'll just use my doctor's visit from like six months ago. It's total bullshit. Um, and uh, I went to all the lectures. I listened to everything that was being said. And it did all make sense. I believed what they had to say. And there was, a, there was a guy there named Jean-Pierre. I don't know if you know who he is. Uh, he's a, a vegan fitness trainer. He's trained like Ellen and all these uh, other people. He works with Chef AJ at True North all the time. Um, and he took a liking to me. And he even had me watch the film Earthlings the first night in my room. And that, like, uh, that, that, and even though the, the, the lifestyle, the, I, I agreed with everything, that was the most profound experience one of the most profound experiences that I had at the immersion was watching that film. It really hit me. And then hearing these doctors talk about how if I can avoid meat, eggs, and dairy, it's actually going to be better for my health because I grew up loving animals. Like, I loved animals. And I couldn't even finish the film. I've never finished Earthlings. And I'm friends with Sean. I'm friends with Sean Munson, the director. And I've told him, like, look, dude, I, I'm so grateful for you and everything you do, but I, I can't finish your movie. And um, I can't watch it like – watch it yeah i have to I skip like i click on each piece and watch a bit and just go like each because it's like pigs and you know how it goes through and i'm just like yeah it's you know i i've tried i've never watched it okay so i've never watched it in its entirety yes i've watched this different segments. that's the same um it's just too much and um the last night of the immersion there was a speaker named dick beardsley and dick beardsley is this very very famous marathoner who ran uh, one of the greatest marathon races, the New York Marathon, against a, a, a man named Alberto Salazar. And it's a very famous race. They, in that race, they both ended up breaking the, the record, the world record, uh, for that for the New York Marathon. Uh, and uh, even though Dick Beardsley came in second and Alberto Salazar came in first, they did both end up breaking the previous records. Um, but what he talked about was how after his career as a runner – he was working on his family farm and he got caught up in machinery and he nearly died and he ended up being addicted to painkillers. 
and he talked about himself about how he about himself as an addict and how he moved through the world and how he treated people and the way that he you know interacted with everything in his life and how drugs had just overtaken and consumed him to the point where you know he was he, he was almost dead and um and he 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 became you know engaged in a lot of criminal activity and i was so struck by this story because it was essentially the person he was talking about was me and i thought to myself you know if you're ever going to have an opportunity to talk to somebody to go up to someone and say i'm struggling with with drug use and i'm really scared and i don't know what to do and know that they won't judge you for it it's right now you know when he's finished with his talk go find a moment and and just and just say it because i never said it out loud before i've never even though i clearly it was it was not a secret i knew i was an addict everybody knew i was i had issues um I couldn't say it out loud because then my ears would hear it and it would be real. Um, and I remember he was signing his books and I waited till the very end and I was just frozen. I couldn't walk. I couldn't talk. I couldn't do anything. And he left. And um, I was just, I wasn't desperate. You know, I wasn't desperate enough. I was very desperate. I wasn't desperate enough. And I chose a path of fear and about a year later, maybe two years later, I would come home from shopping um, at a place called Casual Mail XL because I was 350 pounds. I had a 50-inch waist. And um, I uh, would routinely go into the bathroom and I'd take off my shirt and I'd stare in the mirror. And I was living like a hoarder at the time. I wasn't showering or you know brushing my teeth or anything like that. And I lived in, I lived in filth. And... Um, I'd stare at myself and I'd see all these rashes that were and that were developing under the folds of my skin and I'd see all the stretch marks and I'd see this person in the mirror in front of me that I didn't even recognize. I was always very diaphoretic from the drug use so my face was always red and I was sweating a lot and it smelled really toxic. It was very uh, it, it was very upsetting to be around me because it, you know, you, you, it was hard to be around me because one, because of the way I smelled and just from the, the, my presence did not, was not, um, uh, comfortable to be around. And I'd look at myself in the mirror and I would just start saying, you know, I hate you. And then I'd start to beat myself. I'd hit myself as hard as I could in the stomach over and over and over again. And, uh, I'd start crying I'd, um, I'd have all these welts on my, my stomach from hitting myself. And, um, you know, I talked about my twin brother, um, Bobby. Um, and, you know, he and I have, you know, we've literally shared our entire lives together since even before being born. And, um, you know, I called him a few times before this and said, you know, Bobby, I, yeah, I'm, I'm having a really hard time. And I'm really depressed. You know, I wasn't working. I was probably a month from being homeless at the time. And I said, you know, I want you to know something that um, no matter how bad things get, uh, I'll never commit suicide because I know that I couldn't live my life without you. And I don't want you to live your life without me. 
Um, but on August 21st of 2012, I was 30 years old. I had already been struggling with the fact that I had erectile dysfunction and um, sitting up in my apartment on my couch. And I just, you know, I said to myself, you know what? Nothing's ever going to get any better. And um, better spare yourself, your family, all this trouble that you're causing. And I attempted suicide by drug overdose. And I, uh, I passed out into a pile of garbage. Um, I woke up in a puddle of vomit. Um, I was surrounded by empty pill bottles and I was alone in the dark. And, uh, you know, I consider it a miracle that I'm alive. Um, and I had a very clear, uh, realization that if, um, if I didn't, take a moment to be brutally honest with myself and say, you know, if you don't, if you don't radically change the way that you live your life, uh, your brother and your sister, uh, your mom and your dad are going to, um, they're going to spend the rest of their lives asking themselves why I needed to eat and drug myself to death. And they're going to think that it's because they didn't, there was something they should have or could have done, but they didn't. And they're always going to wonder, was it their fault? And they don't deserve it. And, you know, it takes, I could just take one chance and pick up the phone and call my parents and just say, I need help. I don't have to admit to anything, but just do this for them. And then maybe I'll figure out a way to do it for myself. But right now it's not about me. I pick up the phone. I called my dad. He answered. And he believed me, I, I'd given them every reason not to ever answer the phone. Uh, and I just said, I need help. Uh, I didn't tell him that I had overdosed or attempted suicide. Um, but all he said was, Adam, that's all your mother and I want to do for you. And there wasn't any judgment. There wasn't any of this. I told, well, you know, we've been trying for years to get you to accept that you have a problem. None of that. Um, and then they asked me to pack some clothes and go to their house and we could figure this out together you know, figure out what we were going to do. Um, and, uh, two weeks later they came with me to Arizona as I checked myself into rehab and it was, uh, that was a hard, that was a hard thing to do to check into rehab. I was really, really scared. Um, and the way it works is you check in and you give all your stuff, like your, your phone and your wallet and everything to the, to this person at the front desk. And then a nurse comes out and I think where I went, there was this long hallway and I could see the door to what is the detox area. And you're going to spend a minimum of 24 hours there while they do all these assessments. And she walks in and they come up and they get you. And then no one else is allowed beyond this point. And I got to walk this long hallway to this door that I know once I go through that door, that's it. And you know, I turn around and I wave my parents goodbye. And my mom is crying and um, my dad is hugging my mom. And um, um, then the first 24 hours are really uncomfortable uh, because I'm afraid. I'm scared. Um, then they, they do a lot of medical tests. Uh, biometric testing, psych evaluations, they strip search you, they search your belongings. Um, 
I already, you know, like I mentioned before, I've always had issues with myself, my physical self. I've had self-image issues. And I remember that day I had to stand in a room naked with nurses and doctors while for the purpose of that was for them to look me over and see what was wrong with me. And I just remember wanting it to end and being so humiliated. And I know there's a reason for it. I know there's a purpose behind it. They want to know if you're safe. They want to know if you're, if you're, you know, if you're on anything, they want to know if you have any infections or anything medically that you're not aware of because addicts or people who struggle with addiction, I don't like to define myself by what I struggle with. Um, we live high risk behaviors when we're using. And, um, within, I think it was about 48 or 72 hours in, um, I got a call to go back and visit the doctor and I sit down and uh, I was diagnosed that day with type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. I already knew about the erectile dysfunction, bipolar disorder, anxiety disorder, suicidal depression, sleep disorder, and attention deficit disorder. Um, I was put on a cabinet worth of medication and um, I was really, really devastated because uh, at the engine to immersion, I learned that these diagnoses were my fault, you know, um, that, uh, this was 100% a result of the things that I put on my plate, the other lifestyle decisions that I had made in terms of the drug use. Uh, and, um, as you know, that was it. And, and they were so afraid. My blood pressure was so high. It was like 200 and something over a hundred and something. I don't remember the exact number. But I remember them being so afraid I was going to have a heart attack that I had to have my blood pressure and heart rate monitored every single day, morning and night, while I was there for the 37 days. Um, they didn't do it twice a day after the first week, but every single day I had to have my blood pressure and heart rate monitored. My resting heart rate was 120-something. Um, and, uh, and the doctors, they were so fearful for my chronic health conditions that it became very aware I became very aware that getting sober was not going to be enough. That if all I did was get sober, I'd be dead in five years. And I walked out of the doctor's office and I went back to the dorm rooms. I picked up the phone. I called my dad and I told him I'm leaving. And remember, I hadn't even been there three or four days at this time. And he said, what, what do you mean? What do you mean you're leaving? I said, look, you know, I just left the doctor's office and they told me that you know, I have diabetes, I have heart disease, I have all these other things that I don't know about. And, you know, I thought all I had to do was get sober, I had to get off the drugs. And now now, now I got to deal with all this nonsense. And, and I can't do it. I can't deal with it. And what I was really saying was I was I was afraid. And, um, and he the way that he talked to me on this phone call, it, I've never, he, he'd never spoken to me like this before, in a way that made me know that he was on my side. He said, Adam, let's just say, all right, let's just say that that the that the doctor's right. I'm not saying that he is, but let's just let's just talk about this. Like, okay, so let's say that you do have diabetes and you do have heart disease. Okay. Well, didn't you learn that this is all reversible? Right? Didn't you learn at the engine to immersion that this is something that you can change and you can take control of? And what he said to me next, I'll never forget. He said, yeah, Adam, if there's something about your life that you don't like and you can change it, it's not a problem. And um, in that moment, he helped me realize that 
because I'm the problem, I get to be the solution. And in that moment, he stopped being my adversary and he became my ally. And um, I decided that then and there that that's what I was going to do. I was, I was, the way I was going to get sober was by reversing disease. Because in order to do that, I was not going to use drugs, but I wasn't going to focus on the drugs, right? I was going to focus on what I put on my plate and how that was going to empower and, and be the backbone of my recovery. Because that was measurable. Depression for me was not daily measurable. Uh, addiction is not something I can measure every single day. Like I, can't, I couldn't prick my finger and say, oh, I'm a 98 on the addiction scale today. Great. It's going down couldn't do that. I couldn't do that with depression. I couldn't do that with my bipolar. I couldn't do any of those things, but I could do that with my weight, my blood glucose, and with my blood pressure. These were trackable things. I could see the impact of my, my lifestyle choices, and that mattered to me. Um, in rehab, you don't. I did not have control over what I put on my plate. and I, you know, I could be angry about it or I could deal with it. And so I took that as an opportunity to try to accept some of the issues that they said I had. I, I did not fully do that. You know, they, they wanted me to accept that, you know, I, I was this angry, entitled, arrogant, spoiled person. And that's how I was approaching life. And that that way of approaching life as an emotional person was killing me. And I just kept hearing I'm the problem and emotional. The emotional intelligence that I had at the time was stunted from the drug use. I was like a 15 year old in a 30 year old's body. Um, but when I checked out of rehab, I moved into a sober living facility and it was there that I was going to take control of what I ate. And I remember, you know, it being difficult. I would get up every single day pissed uh, because I was faced with this problem where for breakfast I always had oatmeal. And I go to the cabinet and I open it up. And here in front of me was two options, oatmeal which I enjoyed. It wasn't an issue. Like I liked oatmeal, oatmeal and fruity pebbles. And I know 100% know the consequences of choosing fruity pebbles. And I know the consequences of choosing oatmeal. I know that if I choose the fruity pebbles, which was my favorite cereal of all time, um, that it will continue to fuel my diseases and it will, it will kill me. I also know that if I choose the oatmeal, it's going to help reverse the chronic diseases that I have. Why in the world in that moment did I want the, the fruity pebbles? Because I did. I would get angry that I, that I was choosing the oats and not the fruity pebbles. Why was this simply not a matter of intellect and will? Right? Why could I not know what to do, want to do it, and then that's it. End of story. What, what was going on? What was that? What was the mechanism that was creating this problem of knowing what to do to be happy and healthy and yet not wanting to do it? And then I read The Pleasure Trap by Doug Lyle. And it really just I remember even just watching the, the, the TED talk on YouTube. And after those 17 minutes, so much shame was lifted from me. Because I realized that there actually is a biological mechanism at play that was compelling me to want the fruity pebbles because there's so much concentrated calories per bite that it releases a dopamine response in the brain that is so outside the bounds of normal human experience. And pleasure is our body's way of knowing that we've done something that's biologically beneficial. 
So this pleasure response was saying, this is the better choice, biologically speaking. It, my body believes it's the right thing to do. And so it compels me to continue to choose this over the oatmeal. What it helped me understand was that the reason why I wanted the fruity pebbles instead of the oatmeal wasn't because I was broken. It's because my body was doing exactly what it was supposed to do. That I had lived in an environment of these you know, toxic, super concentrated foods that have far too many calories per bite than our natural evolution, than the environment that we've evolved from, that my body just didn't understand what was going on. And it's going to say, anytime we experience more pleasure here than there, go here every time. There's not good enough. Go here every time, even when there is the healthier option. And all this shame was washed away because I realized that if I were to just be comfortable being uncomfortable and choose the oats long enough, eventually my dopamine receptors would reset and it wouldn't be a chore. And if I could be comfortable being comfortable long enough, eventually I would wake up and I would look forward to the oatmeal. I was going to be the person to do that. And I know a lot of people say, all right, define your why. What's your why, right? I, okay, yeah, you could say it's a why, but I, a why can be a bad thing, right? People could say that the reason I did it was because I was sick. Well, I'm going to tell you right now that the reason why I decided to be comfortable being uncomfortable every single day had nothing to do with my diabetes, nothing to do with my obesity, nothing to do with my drug addiction or my suicide attempt. I hated every one of those things. And I had always hated my way into incredibly destructive lifestyle behaviors. For me, it was what did I love enough to be willing to be comfortable being uncomfortable so that I could experience those things more completely? I don't think people, I don't think that anyone, okay, I don't think hate or fear is a catalyst for long term change. It can be a great motivator for the short term. But love is the greatest catalyst for long-term change. Those things showed me, those diagnoses, the diseases, all that, they showed me what it was I was afraid of losing and that I loved most in my life. And for me, it was I wanted to be able to be with my family and just be with them. Not try to take something from them, not try to fool them or scam them, but just be with them because that is something that I hadn't done since before high school. Because my, my, my problems with drugs started when I was in high school. And once that started, I stopped being with people. I started using people. And I wanted to be the most authentic version of myself so that I could be the type of person that I know I could be for them and for me. And in order to do that, I had to change the way I lived. And so it wasn't about removing negativity, but more so bringing in positivity. I, for me, I don't believe I ever removed anything negative from my life. I believed I brought in more and more positive over the course of time. That there was just no room left for the negative aspects of my life. It wasn't avoiding these things. It was just embracing these things. So not avoiding negative, but embracing positive. And, you know, when I, when I was tested, my, my uh, blood glucose was tested in, in rehab. It was fasting blood glucose was 390. Um, within three months of being in, uh, uh, sober living, it was, I was on the highest amount of metformin, 2000 milligrams per day of metformin. And my fasting blood glucose was 70. 
And I was starting to go hypoglycemic during the day, and I just stopped taking the medication without talking to my doctor, which I, I don't recommend anybody doing. Do don't not do that. do that. Don't do that. Talk to your doctor. I'm just being honest about my story. And I went to see my endocrinologist uh, in about six months, and we did a blood work, and he comes back and says, you no longer have diabetes. And I, uh, it was, I, I've never been this witty in my life. But that's when I stood up and said, well, then I guess I no longer need your services. And um, I shook his hand and I walked out and I felt something that I hadn't felt in a long time, self-worth. And in my opinion, self-worth, just just enough self-worth will make you feel like you're worth saving. See, when I got up every single day and I prepared a meal on a plate that was about health and wellness, that was about moving me towards a healthier version of myself today than I was the day before, that's an act of self-care. That's an act of self-love. And for me, that was an affirmation of sobriety. That was me saying today is going to be about recovery, and I'm building it on these actions. And it allowed me to create this environment where every single day, no matter my emotional situation, no matter my psychological situation, no matter how angry I got, at the end of the day, I was going to be healthier than I was the day before. And that made me feel really good about myself. And, um, you know, by 10 months, I had lost 100 pounds. And within a year, I was off of every single medication I was put on in rehab, including the antidepressants, the mood stabilizers, the sleeping medications, and the anxiety medications. And what I learned was that change is about simply getting up and being willing to make a decision between what you want now and what you want most until what you want now becomes what you want most. Like for me today, when I got up this morning, all I wanted was a big bowl of oatmeal and a bunch of frozen mango. Like that's all I wanted. And by, there's a, there's a quote, uh, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence therefore is not an act but a habit. So if I get up every single day and I eat a plant-based diet that is about creating health and wellness in my life, that is about making me a healthier person physically, emotionally, spiritually today than I was the day before. If I get up every single day and I'm committed to my practices of emotional and uh, psychological recovery, meditation, running, uh, purposeful breath step in place. If I get up every single day and I can be of service to at least one person, then at the end of the day, I will have lived a life where I'm a happy, healthy, sober person who's of service to other people. And that's important to me. That's the type of person that I want to be. That's that authentic self that I'm talking about when I first got started in my recovery, on my road to recovery, was I want to, I want to find out who my authentic self is. That's what I love most, is to be this person that I know I can be. And I, I know I have been before, but I've forgotten how to be. Um, I want to find, rediscover that individual. And, um, you know, certainly... Rip Esselstyn is a huge part of that. Um, you know, he's become a very close friend of mine. Um, uh, he's been a mentor for me. Um, and I work with him. Um, and I, I'm a speaker for his uh, events. And I work with Engine 2 really closely. And, um, you know, when I met him, I was in survival mode. Um, where I would get up every single day. And I would put any toxic substance into my body, food or drugs, to numb me up and block out and block the emotions away from my life. And I would get angry at anybody as quickly as I needed to. 
so that I didn't have to deal with emotions uh, that, I, that I couldn't handle. And I didn't have, want to deal with people that made me see myself for what I was. And survival mode is exhausting. It's exhausting physically. It's exhausting spiritually. It's exhausting emotionally. And it makes life not worth living. But the tools that Rip empowered me with helped me learn to stop surviving my day and start living my day. And I know for me, when I can get up and live my day, my life is a very beautiful thing. Um, but more so than anyone else is my mom, my dad, my brother, and my sister. Um, you know, when uh, uh, there's a photo that I have here in my apartment, um, and it's a photo that was taken by my mom Uh when she was walking my dad, when she was walking with my dad and I uh, into rehab, and so you see a photo of my dad and I uh, from the from behind walking into the doors of rehab, and then next to it there's a photo of um, my dad and I running the race in Austin three years later, because they have literally walked this entire path with me. Um, they're my best friends. Um, I work with my dad. And, um, they, they never stopped believing in me even when I had stopped believing in myself and, uh, my brother and my sister who had, who had, who had, hadn't talked to me in about a year. Um, when I got my, uh, I, I didn't do the 12 step thing, but I think it's important for when any individual who is recovering from any kind of substance abuse or whatever, when they reach a significant milestone, like one year of recovery, that they go to any kind of gathering just to be an example that it's possible to those who are just getting started. So I went to uh, one of the AA meetings that I had gone to before to get my one year sober chip and my sister came and she was, uh, yeah, <laughs> you're killing me. I'm crying. <laughs> and she was sitting in the front row when I got my, my chip and, um, my brother in 2016, weighed 280 pounds and was type two diabetic. And, um, you know, I had gotten out of rehab in 2013. Um, and so by 2016, I had already had four years of sobriety, um, and, um, you know, completely reversed all the diseases and everything. Um, and I asked him, I said, Bobby, you know, are you, are you, are you happy with the way that you move through the world and are you happy with your, you know, with, with how, with yourself, not who you are as a person, but how you feel. And he said, no. And I said, well, can I give you a gift? Um, and I want you to know right now that I'm not, this has nothing to do with who you are as a person and only about behavior. And I want you to know that because it's because of who you are and because I love who you are so much that I want to do this for you. Will you just move in with me? for a few months and live my lifestyle. This isn't a permanent thing. Like if you want to give up and quit and go home after a few months, that's fine. Um, but just, let's just see what happens. I mean, I know I'm confident that you'll reverse your diabetes and lose weight, but it's not about that. And he said, yes. And on January 4th of 2016, we went to go see Dr. Matt Letterman, who was in Forks Over Knives and he's been in several other documentaries like Diet Fiction, which is the new one. Uh, that my brother's story is featured in, everybody. So go Very watch exciting. that. Go watch it. <laughs> and uh, we did all the biometric stuff. They weighed him, blood pressure, took his blood glucose. And 
And when we were there, we were talking to, to Dr. Letterman and he asked Bobby, he said, you know, did you bring your medication? Bobby hands him his bag. He was on allergy medications, metformin, uh, an antidepressant, and, uh, and he was also taking an ADHD medication. And Dr. Letterman takes his diabetes medication and he says, you know, uh, we've, I've talked with you and your brother, Adam, and I, you know, he and I knew each other already. And he said, I know what you're going to be doing and I know what you're going to be eating, so you don't need these anymore. And he threw them in the trash. And uh, within six weeks, Bobby's blood glucose was completely normal. Uh, so uh, and his blood pressure was completely normal. He had lost 40 pounds in the first 30 days. Um, and he's lost 100 pounds as of now. And he now, uh, the most important, like one of the most beautiful things I saw was that, you know, my passion that I discovered after this was to help people, empower people uh, with their health, right? Now, I'm a vegan. I'm a vegan activist. And nowhere near the, the level of activist that my brother is, but I'm a vegan. I'm an activist. I will go to vigils and things like that. I don't wear leather. Uh, but my passion is to help empower people with health and disease reversal. Um, my brother is very much the animal rights side. And um, he and I went and we lived in Nepal for about six months. We lived in an orphanage um, and we helped kids and stuff. And he really took a shine to helping the animals of Nepal. And I was helping the kids. And it was, it was amazing because I saw this light come on in his eyes. And he now works with Sean Munson, the director of Earthlings. Uh, he's a producer and cinematographer of, of their upcoming film called Overhaul. And Bobby, Bobby has a connection to non-human animals that is really rare. He has a poet's mind and he has a very, very open heart to non-human animals. He can be very abrupt with people. He just, animals understand him and non-human animals understand him in a way that very few humans do. And I think it's the same for him with, he understands non-human animals far better than he does humans. And um, to know that he goes in to slaughterhouses um, and he's rescued several animals from slaughterhouses, um, which is amazing. And, but there was a moment, there was a day when he came up to me, it was after Nepal and, um, and after he started working with Sean and, uh, he came up to me and like I mentioned, he's a poet and he's, he, he reads philosophy and um, he said, Adam, there's a quote. One of my favorite quotes is from Joseph Campbell. And Joseph Campbell said that we're not so much looking for the meaning of life as much as we are the experience of being alive. And that's what you've given back to me. And um, it's just been the most incredible thing to watch him become his own force for change. And I think it's great because we are twins. We're also, we're identical twins and we're Gemini's. I don't necessarily believe in astrology, <laughs> but I do think that's pretty cool. And yeah. I also think it's pretty cool that if you look at Bobby and I together, right, my passion is the plant-based health and his passion is the animal rights. So together we're like a complete vegan. <laughs> 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 which is kind of cool um but he he's amazing and it was it was it was special to to um both of, to have both of us be in that film died fiction together and see him on screen sharing his story 
um, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of all the work that he does. Um, but yeah, it's been, I, I'm, I'm, I celebrated six years sober from drug use, uh, in October of last year. And, um, I'll tell you, like, I've, I've learned a few things for certain, uh, over the last six years. Um, one is that I know that I, I now know that I am not now, nor have I ever in my life been broken. There's never been anything wrong with who I, who I am. That uh, the environment that I was living in was sick, and as a result, it was making me sick. But who I am as a person has never been a problem. The reason why I had diabetes, the reason why I was addicted to uh, drugs, the reason why I ever wanted to end my life was because that's exactly what's supposed to happen. When you consume five to 10,000 calories of fast food a day, when you consume 450 milligrams of Adderall consistently, and when you consistently hide from your feelings and your true self, and you lock yourself away from life, you will not want to live. There has never been anything wrong with who I am. My body was doing exactly what it was supposed to, given the way I chose to approach life. Like I'm not broken. I never have been. I also know that I've only had two problems, that I didn't know how to live as a healthy, emotional, or physical person. Everything else was a symptom of those two things. And once I accepted that I didn't know any other way to live, I was finally able to break open and say, all right, I'm done. I'm going to listen to anybody who's willing to help me. And I'll listen to what you have to say. We'll try it. If it works and I find joy in it, I'll keep it. If it works, but I don't find joy in it, I'm probably going to try something else. And if it doesn't work, I'll try something else. But I'm just going to keep listening to what everybody and anybody who wants to help me has to say. Once I stop trying to be right all the time and certain all the time, I was able to learn more about myself than I ever have in my entire life. The other thing that I know for certain now is that the simplest change on your fork can make the most profound change of your life. Um, I know it did for me, and I know it can for anybody. And it's not just about what the simplest change on your fork. Any change done consistently over the course of time will make profound change in your life, good or bad. But I know that this worked for me, and I know it can for anybody else, because I can tell you guys I am not that special. I am not the X factor. I am not the reason why this diet worked. The fact that I was willing to do it day in and day out, even when it was difficult, is why it worked. It's the food. It's the environment. There's a great quote by Dan Buettner, who wrote The Blue Zones, and he says, if you want to be successful with your health, with happiness, and with food, make it easy to do the right thing. Create personal environments that are filled with healthy and healing options. That's what this lifestyle does. If you create an environment for yourself where your only options to put into your body are low-fat, whole-food, plant-based options, it doesn't matter what happens in terms of your emotional or psychological situation. If I was upset and I wanted to emotionally eat, fine. Go ahead. I'm going to emotionally eat sweet potatoes all day. Guess what? It's still going to reverse my diseases. I'm still going to be healthier as a result of it until I develop more uh, healthier ways of dealing with my emotions. But in the short term, that environment's only going to create positive change. That's so powerful. And everybody, I don't want to say everybody because there are parts of the world where they don't have the option of creating a personal environment for positive change through food. There are such unfortunates out there, but a lot of people 
have the opportunity to fill their environment with food that creates positive change on a daily basis. Adam, I, I'm speechless. I don't know what to say Thanks. if you're listening. <laughs> I think you feel the same way. There is one, there's a, just one thing I wanted to talk to you about. Well, there's many. I could keep talking to you all day, but my husband said the other, my last episode, which is the second last, is, uh, was too long. He's the editor. He's just like, come on, Corinne. <laughs> cool. <laughs> but, um, what I wanted to ask you about, because you've, you've, you've said so much and your story is so harrowing and transformative. And, you know, I, I, you know, I was right there with you. It was just so emotional listening to what you've been through and how far you've come and to see you now glowing and vital and passionate and enthusiastic and to hear, you know, that you were, you know, that man that was looking in the mirror, punching yourself and hitting yourself and saying that you hate yourself, which just is heartbreaking. And as a mother, I think about my boys doing that and it just breaks my, breaks my heart. And I know that there's people listening and I myself have looked in the mirror and said those exact things in a different way, different circumstances, but very similar. I'm broken. There'll be people who are listening who have been in that been in that mirror at least, even if they're not, haven't been in the exact same circumstances and said those same things. But what I wanted to, because you you talked about all the diseases that you've reversed, heart disease, type two diabetes, sure. high cholesterol, high blood pressure, all of those things. One thing that I wanted to touch on because we we haven't much. We've had one episode on a woman who had um, Julie Corinne who had bipolar. Yeah, and I just wanted to ask you. When you made all of these changes, how did how how have they impacted upon your diagnosis of bipolar? So I I don't take bipolar medication anymore because it was determined that my bipolar situation was drug induced. So anytime you're on a certain amount of stimulants or any kind of drug that you're using, um, it creates chemical imbalance that can manifest symptoms that are similar to a lot of different, you know, psychological diagnoses. Mine was a huge pendulum swing in terms of mood. And, uh, so at the, at the six month mark, it was just clear that I was not the same person emotionally who was diagnosed as bipolar six months prior. And I went in and talked to my doctor because I was on a medication that has some very serious side effects, one of which can be fatal. And I said, you know what? I don't know if it's the medication, it might be, but I just don't think I'm the same person that I was when I was diagnosed. And I would love the opportunity to see if it's possible for me to get off this medication. And they, my doctor was like, yeah, you know, if that's something you want to try, we can do it. We'll slowly titrate you off. Um, and they titrated me off my antidepressants, my um, anxiety medications and my um mood stabilizers. And that took six months. And it was, and then we, we closely, I, I would go in for checkups with my, with my care team regularly after I had stopped. And it was just, it, I wasn't, it wasn't necessary anymore. I'm not saying that that's going to be everybody's yes. situation. Yes. yes. Um, I'm just saying that that's, that's my situation. Yes, yes, yes. If you're listening, you know, speak to your doctor and <laughs> 100%. But I will say um, that if there is anybody who is considering uh, rethinking their, their uh, medication terms, their antidepressants, 
ADHD medications, anxiety medications, do not just stop taking them. Okay, that can be dangerous. These are medications that have to be slow. You have to slowly titrate yourself off. So you're going to take a, sl a small, gradual, and do this under the care of your prescribing doctor. This is not something that you want to mess around with, right? And and just because you're in a situation now, I know it seems like, well, if I can't change it in a month, it's never going to change. That's just not the way things work in terms of your metabolic and emotional health, right? Allow for yourself the time to adopt a new way of living and a new way of approaching life that gives you the opportunity to move through the world in a different way and say, all right, maybe it's time I reassess my medical needs, my, you know, my pharmaceutical needs, but like, don't get caught up in this. If it doesn't happen by now, it's never going to happen. It's just not the way things work. Things, unfortunately, we're, we're a pill popping culture. And if, if things don't work immediately, then we have this idea that they, they'll never work. And that's just not the way. Be patient with yourself. And don't, do not think less of yourself if you can't get off of them. Yes, that's a great, great, great advice. And I, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I just wanted, I just wanted to hear your story about that because I think the people listening might want to know. But yes, definitely go see your doctor. Do it slow. Forgive yourself. And some people are on medication for bipolar for for forever. Yeah, 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 one hundred percent. And that's okay. And, it, and you're okay. It's fine. You're not broken. Yeah. It's fine. You're not broken. There's nothing wrong with who you are, right? There's. There's, there are situations that come up in life. I mean, you know, if I were to define myself by what I struggled with, I'd always believe I were broken, right? So anybody here who ha who is dealing with bipolar disorder or depression, do not say you are depressed or that you are bipolar. You struggle with bipolar disorder. You're struggling with depression or you are living with bipolar disorder or living with depression because you are not those things only. You, those things make up the, the minority of what you are, right? You are so much more than what you are dealing with and what you are living with. And don't allow those diagnoses to become your identity or they will always overpower your emotion. Beautifully said, beautifully said. So Adam, you, you touched on that you've been working, we've been in the diet fiction yeah. and some documentaries. So where can people find more from you? What, yeah. what documentaries are you in books? Who are you working with? Where can they yeah. go get support from you or how can they reach you and follow you on social media? All those places. Sure. So I, on social media, I'm plant based addict, um, on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, I also work with the amazing team mastering diabetes. Um, we are a program led by Dr. Cyrus Kambada and Robbie Barbero, um, who you can see on Instagram. Robbie is Mindful Diabetic Robbie. Uh, they are both type 1 diabetics who live uh, a very high carbohydrate, low fat lifestyle. And our, our whole mission as a company, we're a virtual coaching program, is to help 1 million people reverse insulin resistance, which is the causation of type 2 diabetes and prediabetes. And also affects quality of life for those living with type 1 or type 1.5 diabetes. Insulin resistance is defined by, so a lot of people think that, I don't want to take up too much time, but a lot of people think that diabetes is a problem of carbohydrate, right? That you eat too much sugar and you have diabetes, and that's just not the issue. It's a dietary fat problem. And we help people understand what's the true causation of insulin resistance, and we help people reverse insulin resistance through the use of low-fat, whole-food, plant-based nutrition. Uh, we've had 3,000 people go through our program, 
We have thousands of uh, testimonials and we're publishing them every single week. Um, look us up at masteringdiabetes.org. Check us out on Instagram at Mastering Diabetes. Listen to our podcast, the Mastering Diabetes Audio Experience. Ah, and, I'm so excited. And look, and look us up on YouTube. Um, we host a summit that's coming up in February. So if you go to masteringdiabetes.org, you can sign up for the 2019 summit. You can listen to it free for one week. We have Dr. Neil Barnard. We have Dr. Sherzai, Dean and Aisha Sherzai, who wrote the Alzheimer's Solution. They are my favorites. Everybody is in this. Everybody is in this. I mean, we had Garth Davis, Michelle McMacken. It's it's 35 of the top experts in the world talking about everything that is connected to insulin resistance. So cancer, heart disease, diabetes, Alzheimer's, all of these are fueled by insulin resistance. So it's free for the first week. Check it out. Go to MasteringDiabetes.org and, and listen to it. Definitely. I'm a diabetes and food addiction coach for Mastering Diabetes, and it's been the greatest pleasure to work with them because these guys are not just my coworkers. They are and have been my closest friends for years, and so it, it, it's, it's awesome. That is so good. So that is great. I, everyone, go to Plant Based Addict on social media, uh, masteringdiabetes.org for everything. Go join the summit, week for free, mindful diabetic Robbie. Is that right? That's right. Yep. That's Robbie Barbero. He's one of the founders. Yeah. Awesome. Mastering Diabetes Audio Experience for your podcast. Yep. Super exciting. And that's available on, I'm guessing, Spotify, and iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and- iTunes, Stitcher Apple. All that. Yeah. And get some support from Adam as well as a food addict and diabetes coach, which is awesome. Yeah, our programs our programs really affordable. It's like three hundred and fifty dollars for the entire year. So <sighs> see, yeah, it's great. Brilliant, that is great. So everyone, head over there, and I'm really excited, especially when you mentioned type one diabetes. And I know we don't have time. Yeah. I'm so sorry to bring it up. It's okay. Top big topic, but I think I have. You know, I know a per, well at least one person who has type one diabetes, and people think that it's only that a low fat, whole food, plant based diet is only helpful for those people with type two diabetes and not type one. It's the best diet for a type one diabetic, 100. So Cyrus Kambata, our founder. And both Rob, both Robbie and Cyrus consume four to six hundred grams of carbohydrate per day. They're only injecting about twenty-five to thirty-five units of insulin total per day, which is equivalent to the amount of insulin that their pancreas would produce. So they're in they're in like sort of a, a homeostasis with the way their body would naturally operate. Cyrus has an A1C of a non-diabetic, as a type one diabetic, and Robbie's A1C is, I think his right now is five point seven. Uh, but it's typically between 5.7 and 6.4, which is unreal for a type 1 diabetic. And we help people who are type 1 diabetics achieve the same results. We have them eating far more carbohydrate than they've ever considered eating in their life. They lower their dietary fat intake and their insulin use plummets because it's not the carbohydrate. It's the fat. The fat stored in the muscle cells interferes with insulin's ability to do its job. That's what insulin resistance is. You remove the excess fat stores from within the muscle cells in the liver, and you become insulin sensitive. Your insulin can do its job. So come learn from us. 
Ah, uh, that was great. Thank you. Thank you so much because I know that people are listening and that, that's just the information that they need. So thank you so much. So if you wanted to give, like, honestly, I think you could give 50 million tips to us because <laughs> you've been through sure. so much. Like it's such a, like with the addiction, the drug addiction and the food addiction and the ill health, you know, you've reversed type 2 diabetes, heart disease, cholesterol, blood pressure. You've you've gone off all these medications for so many different conditions. You know you've overcome you know drug addiction, substance use, food addiction. There's so much in this episode, so I hate to have just three, but let's just give just three three biggest tips for anyone listening. Obviously, go check him out, follow him everywhere. Adam Sud is amazing. Check him out. <laughs> but what what would be your three biggest tips? Okay, so I'm going to give one tip because I think this is the most important one. Okay. Right. Um, I think that the reason why a lot of people become very overwhelmed in the beginning is that they try to believe that they're changing their, the rest of their life. Like, so for me, I remember the beginning thinking there's no way I can try to be plant-based for the rest of my life. I can't even see a month down the road. I remember I was 37 days sober at the time. Um, there's no way I can do this. I never told myself that I would do it for the rest of my life. I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to focus on what I can plan for. I'm going to focus on the next seven days. I'm going to plan it out. I'm going to see what works, what works. And I find joy in doing, I'm going to keep what doesn't work or what I don't find joy in doing. I'm going to find something else. I'm going to reassess and I'm going to go another seven days. See, set, uh, uh, if you're trying to plan for the rest of your life, you can't conceptualize it. You can't plan for it. And it's overwhelming. But I can see seven days. I can plan for it. I can measure it. And it allows me to focus on behavior rather than results. Right? If I focus on the behaviors that create the positive change and I fall in love with those behaviors to the point where I find joy in owning my health and well-being through putting foods on my plate that create, that create health, through moving my body purposefully and through practices of meditation, if I find joy in those behaviors and I fall in love with them, Every result I ever want in life will happen in the time that's right for me. It's less important to focus on the finish line than it is moving forward. If I'm running a race, I never have to see the finish line in order to get there. All I have to do is see the road in front of me, move my body at a pace that's comfortable, and I will get to any finish line I'm running towards. It's irrelevant to worry about the results. It is very important to fall in love with the behaviors. The rest of your life is a commitment that you cannot plan for. Seven days is an experiment that you can plan. My entire recovery has been nothing more than a series of seven-day experiments that started six years ago. If I could give anybody advice, I would say don't, uh, don't define yourself as plant-based. Don't define yourself as a vegan. Who cares? Right? Who cares if I go out and say, I'm vegan, I'm vegan, I'm vegan, I'm vegan, I'm vegan. It doesn't matter. What matters is the impact that my actions and behaviors have. Go out, create a plan for seven days. Focus on the behaviors that bring positivity into your life. Find ways to fall in love and find joy in those behaviors, and the rest will take care of itself, I guarantee it. That is such a great tip. And I, even for me, like I love these tips every week because – I take so much away, but best part of this podcast is what I get. <laughs> no offense, everyone <laughs> listening, but it's really great for me. <laughs> but it was really, I think that that seven day focus is, 
it's so doable and manageable. And I think, like you say, everyone gets so overwhelmed by the, yeah. this is for life. I'm never going to eat meat again. What? I'm never going to eat. Uh. They get overwhelmed with the scale and the, the blood glucose and the, and the results, right? And, and the thing is, if you're doing this about, like I said before, if you're doing this about things in your life that you don't like, right? If it's about removing things in your life that you don't like, I'm here to tell you, I guarantee you, that life will always figure out something for you to not like about yourself. And you will always find something that you don't like. And then you're going to say, this diet is not working. I'm not, I'm never going to be the weight that I want to be. I'm never going to be as fit as I want to be. This diet doesn't work. And you're going to get resentful and you're going to quit. If you're doing it about things in your life that you love, doing it because you love yourself. When you get up one day and you start to move in a way that you haven't moved before or haven't done in a long time, you start to see the world in a way that you haven't seen it before or haven't in a long time. And you start to connect to a part of yourself that you haven't felt in a long time. You're going to say, wow, this is possible because of the changes I've made. And then you're going to fall in love with the behaviors and the results are going to be irrelevant. They're going to happen, but you're going to love so much the person that you're becoming. It's great to love the person that you want to become, but it's far more important to love the person that's going to get you there. That's, that's, that's really the, that, that's it right there. That so. is, that is it right yeah. <laughs> there. Love the person that you are right now. It, it's something that I think everyone struggles with, especially when you're, you're not in love with the person you are right now. And you haven't been, like we're conditioned everywhere not to be in love with the person we are right now. So we can buy everything that people say we need to fall in love with the person we are right now. So it's no one's at fault for that but that journey like you say when you build those little steps where you you talked about it earlier when you get that little bit of self-worth it tells you that you're worth saving you know and that little every little piece helps give you the strength and the love and add that joy in that propels you forward even if that propelling might not be fast for a while you know it might just right be arduous for a bit but the more you add in each day that like you say that healthier choice every day just a healthier just a bit healthier you know whatever that looks like for you each day it builds a momentum that keeps you moving forward and that's it and and build increases that self-love along the way yeah it's not important to get there fast it's just important to move forward right there is no fast pace there is no slow pace there's your pace that's it you're racing no one. <laughs> so true. It's so true. It's so true. I could talk to you for a hundred years. Oh, yeah, I have too. to let you go. Uh, okay. It was so nice chatting with you. Thank it you so wonderful. much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. Any, everyone, check out everything that Adam's done. He's like, what documentaries <laughs> can they see you in and find you and your brother in? Uh, Die Fiction. Diet it's fiction. out on iTunes and Amazon and like 30 other platforms right now, but it's really, really good. I can't wait. I don't think that's one I haven't seen. So I will, I'll be putting that on my list of long weekend viewing while my husband's away. Fantastic. So Michal Sawirski, who directed Food Choices, directed this film. Thank you so much again. You're and very welcome. My pleasure. It was just great to have you. Thank you, Adam, for coming on the show. Thank you all so much for listening. Adam's story just had me speechless, which is hard to do. But one of the things I really loved was... Well, there were so many things. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I, I really loved his focus on the next seven days, plan for the next seven days. Top tip. That was 
perfect and so, so helpful and doable to everyone. Obviously, follow him at Plant Based Addict on social media, masteringdiabetes.org, Mindful Diabetic Robbie for on social media as well, Mastering Diabetes Audio Experience for the podcast. Check out all those places. Watch Diet Fiction over in iTunes and on Amazon. And I'm just going to leave you with this one thing, which I'm going to take with me forever. And that was when Adam was talking about something that his father said. Now, I'm going to paraphrase it because I didn't write it down and I'm recording these notes while my kids are in the air-conditioned car and I need to – I can't go back and listen for the exact quote. But it was, I think – something like if there's something in your life that you don't like but you can fix it it's not a problem and I love that because you know I definitely helped I know it helped Adam so much in changing his own perspective and feeling supported and knowing that there was a solution and that he could move forward on the road to finding that solution and working towards that solution. But it's just such a simple thing. You know, if you have type 2 diabetes or heart disease, there is a solution. So there is no problem. Or if you you have been struggling with excess weight for your whole life, there is a solution. So you don't have a problem. Now, I know that that, that, that's oversimplifying something that's huge, I really liked thinking of it like that. I mean, if you can fix it, all we need is to find the people, the team, the communities. If it's working with Adam, Robbie and Cyrus over at masteringdiabetes.org, if it's getting a coach, get, get that support team. There is a way to fix those things. There is a way. So find the people, reach out, ask for help, keep searching, keep building your team, get that community around you. Find it in your area, find it online, find those people, create them yourself. If there's no groups in your area, create those groups yourself. Just be brave, start a Facebook group, put it out into your local area, say, I'm doing this, do you want to come join me? Or, you know, in your family, say, I'm doing this, do you want to come along for the ride, do it for seven days, like Adam said. It's so great, you'll never regret it. Get the support. If you feel like that you've got a pro- you've got something that you don't like, don't like, but you've now heard that there is a way to fix it, then there is no problem. Just take this one step in front of the other until you solve it, until the problem vanishes. Like most of my problems, Adam's problems, guests on our shows. Obviously, problems are always going to arise in your life, but be resourceful, be resilient, be brave, take those steps. Low-fat, whole food, plant-based diet, bit of exercise, bit of mindfulness, bit of meditation, lots of water, you know, it, lots of good, some good rest, some good friends, some love. It's amazing the problems that those, just those simple, simple, simple things can solve. Have a great week. I'll see you next week. Bye.